8, please. I'm, I'm sorry, did I say John 8? John 15. I didn't preach last weekend, so I'm rusty. John 15. John 15. Amen. Once you're there, can you stand with me? Can you stand with me once you're there? I know, I know. Man, stop telling us to stand. One more time, one more time. Just want to make sure you're awake. John 15. You could stretch. You could move neck around. You could move your shoulders. Get ready to just sit and bask in God's word. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We praise you. We exalt you. And we just want to continue in prayer. Sometimes people ask, why do you pray so much in a service? I say, well... We can never pray so much. Amen. So, Lord, we just come to you in prayer. And we ask you now, as you reveal yourself through worship, as you re reveal yourself through the worship of giving back tithes, as you worship now in the preaching of your word, I pray that you would just reveal and declare yourself before us. Lord, I pray that you would do something in our lives. Lord, I always pray this before coming up here on Sundays. Almost every Sunday, my message is the same. Lord, edify the ones that need to be edified. Convict the one that needs to be convicted. Lord, I just pray that you would move upon every single person and meet them exactly where they need to be met. Only you can do that because only you are God. So I pray that you would do that. Be magnified and exalted. We cast out every distraction today. Can you say that, Lord? I cast out every lie and every thought in my mind that is not of God. I pray that they will be shut down so that I could hear clearly the word of God today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth it holds. I thank you for the power it holds. I thank you for the freedom it holds. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we say, amen. amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. If you did not come on Wednesday, I want to kind of boast about something. Um, Wednesday, I had, um, I had some ideas in my mind, some thoughts in my heart. But you know what I love? When God said, Rigo, but I have some ideas in my mind and some thoughts in my heart. And I said, and we said, if you came on Wednesday, all right, God, then let your ideas, let your thought, let your will be done. And this Wednesday, we experienced something that I've been trying to teach a lot of people, it's, it's we experience the part of God, which is the supernatural part of God, amen? It's, we could do things, and we could try to do things, and we could preach, and we could sing, but when the Holy Spirit falls, and no one is in control of that, and he begins to sit over people, and we just sit back and say, wow, I mean, you can't say anything else, but man, that was God. On Sunday, we got, uh, on Wednesday, we got to see people get delivered. We saw people come up here and be broken before the presence of God, that we had to take away the word, and we just gave a different whole word about the throne room of God in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, and what God did here um, on Wednesday was pretty awesome, and if you missed it, you missed it, but man, was it awesome. So I started to pray, and I said, Lord, you know, I know you gave me these three ideas, these three thoughts um, for your people. And today, what I'm going to do is, if you did come on Wednesday and I told you, I'm sorry, I'm not going to share what I originally had. Today I'm going to share it, but I'm going to share it to all of you. And the last thing I ever wanted to do was, I wanted to do, I didn't want to do part five of Diary of a Wimpy Christian because I can't close off any better than Pastor Javi closed off last week. Amen? The words that Javi spoke were so edifying, so powerful and convicting all at the same time. Um, I was just pondering throughout the week and... Um, I can't think of any better way to end the series than the way he just nailed it in the head. But as I was seeking the Lord, even to preach on Wednesday, the Lord gave me three thoughts that I want to share with you today. So I'm not sure how long we'll take, but three thoughts. And these are important thoughts as the Lord was putting them in my heart because we talked about Diary of a Wimpy Christian for four weeks. But here we are for four weeks. We give our time. We give our effort. We give our prayer to the series. We ask things like, Lord, make me bold. But then when those four weeks are over, now this is what we ask. What now? What then? I didn't know what to title today. Whether I was going to call it Aftermath of the Diary or Important Things After Diary or Not Part of Diary but Yet Continuing Diary. That's not going to be it. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to show, share three thoughts about what now after Diary. What now? What what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? How are you going to stand now? What's going to become of you now? And you heard me say this last week. 
Because the last thing we want is we have an amazing series like Diary of a Wimpy Christian, and then we go back and we are just a bunch of wimps again. That's not what we're called to be. But we're called to be what? Bold. Thought number one, it's found in Genesis, John 15, and I want to share this with you. As we look at John 15, and we've probably read this many times, I might read from a different translation than you, just so you could really grasp the simpleness, but yet the depth and importance of it at the same time. Whether you're reading from the New King James, NIV, ESV, or even the NLT, or any other translation, just listen to the words and follow with me. In John 15, Jesus says this, verses 1 through 8. He says, I'm the true grapevine, I'm the vine. And my father is the, this translation says, gardener. What does yours say? Vine dresser, good. A gardener, a vine dresser. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. But you have already been pruned and you've been purified by the message. Let me stop. I think that's what diary has done. I hope it's done that. I hope that you've been pruned and, 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 I, and I hope that, that you've been purified by the messages of the last four weeks of diary of a wimpy Christian. So when I read that verse, I said, man, that's an awesome verse. God, thank you for showing me this verse. And then he says this, that I have given you. And then in verse 4, he says, here's my command. Here's my instruction. Listen, listen. You just spent four weeks on this, but now this is what I need you to do. What next, Lord? Here it is. Ready? Verse 4. Remain in me. Can you say that with me? Remain in me. Good. Remain in me, the Lord says. And I will remain in you. I love the promise there, right? Stick with me and I'll, what? And I'll stick with you. Get me and I got you. Remain in me and I'm going to remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain, what? In me. Verse 5, yes, I am the vine. And yes, you are the branches. And those who remain in me and I in them, look what he says. I will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Everyone say, I can do nothing. You can't do anything apart from God. Anyone who does not remain, there it is again, remain in me, he is thrown away like a useless branch and he withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and they're thrown into a fire. They are burned. And verse 7 says, but if you, want to take a guess what he says next? Remain in me. Hey, guys, stop. You think Christ is trying to make a point? What's the point? Remain in me is the point, man. Remain in me. Remain in me. And then he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. It's going to be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are true. You are my true disciples. And then I love what Jesus says here. And this brings great glory to my Father. This brings. I look at this point of, strict, uh, of Scripture and I see very clearly that our boldness and our strength and our power, I don't know if you guys catch this or not, but it's only found if what, church? If we remained in Christ, if we remain in Christ, if we abide in Him, then our strength is there. Then our power is there. But apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, what do we see in this passage of Scripture? Something very clear. And it's this, apart from him, we are frail, we are weak, and we are of no significance. As a matter of fact, he says this, that those branches, they easily just come off the vine. They don't produce fruit. There's nothing good in them. And I, and I packed them up in a, in, a, in, a, in a pile. And he says, as I put them in a pile, I throw them to be burned in a fire because there's nothing in them. They are worthless. But, but if you what, church? remain in me there you will find life there you will find strength there you will find power abiding and staying connected with Christ I read this passage and say is the only place where I have life and it's the only place where you have life point number one 
as I gave you a quick introduction there, write this down. It's stay connected. Point number one is stay connected. But I'm going to tell you what to stay connected to. Number one, you stay connected to who? Who, who? I'm going to take a guess now. Easy. Stay connected to Jesus. But check this out. As you stay connected to Jesus, here's the other one. You stay connected to the brotherhood. I'm going to talk about that for a moment. So write this down. Stay connected to Jesus. Stay, stay connected to the brothers. Sisters, I mean you too when I say that. Brothers and sisters. Stay connected to the church. Stay connected to Christ. Because when you look at John 15, there's a beauty in it. If we stay in Jesus, if we remain in Jesus, there's fruit. If we remain in Jesus, we're not going to be burned. If we remain in Jesus, we're going to be strong. But there's also another beauty to this scripture. And that is the beauty of when we together as a body abide in him. If you're taking notes, write down this scripture. I'm going to read it real quick to you. It's found in Psalm chapter 133, right off there. Some of you probably already thought about it. I know where he's going. Psalm 133, verse 1, if, if you're writing notes there on, on a paper. And look what the psalmist says. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to what? To dwell together in what? Unity. Did you notice the word there? Dwell together. In John 15, the Lord says, dwell in me. In Psalm, he's saying, dwell together. There's something beautiful about dwelling in Christ. And then it's just as beautiful when together as a body, we decide to what? To dwell in Christ together. Uh, we see that in Scripture. I'm going to give you some, some sort of structure so you can see where I'm going. In our diary, we talked real quick. I don't want to spend too much time in it, but we talked about Peter and John. They were arrested. They healed a man at the gate of beautiful that was asking for money that was lame. He could not walk. And they looked at him and said, hey, we don't got money to offer you, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. The dude walks. He runs to the temple. He begins to rejoice. Everyone in the temple is so whacked out about the situation. They said, how in the world is he work, walking when he was never able to walk? He's about 40 years being paralyzed. How is that possible? And he begins to declare, these two men, Peter and John, in the name of Jesus, made me well. And everyone's astonished. And then they arrest Peter and John. They put him in a court trial, and in the court trial, remember this story? Do not talk about Jesus. Do not talk about Jesus. No, we're going to continue to talk about Jesus. I told you, stop talking about Christ. He's like, it doesn't matter how many times you tell us to stop talking about Christ. That's for you to judge, but me and John, we're going to continue to talk about Christ. Remember that story? But what I love is what they did right after. Scripture says that the elders of the temple, they could find no fault in them because it was proof that the man was healed. There was proof. So it was a problem. This guy's not faking it. He's healed. We got these guys in jail. That's a serious problem. We're going to cause a riot in Jerusalem. What do we do here? So they said, we got only one, one solution. Here it is. We're going to have to let them go. So they unchained them and they say, go. But do us a favor. Stop talking about Christ. As Peter and John are walking out, being set free from prison, it's like, we are not going to stop talking about Christ. But this is the part that I love. It's verse 23 of that chapter 4. Watch what he says. Watch this. Watch this. It says, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers. And they told them what the leading priests and elders had said. And, and I love this. Ready? As all the other brothers and sisters heard their story, look at verse 24. All the believers began to what? Lift up their voices. What, church? Together. And they began to pray to God. Now, what do I see here? I see something very important. I see that Peter and John were connected to Jesus and nothing was going to separate them from that remaining in Jesus. Did you see that in scripture? You're never going to make me unplug my, to my source. I'm never going to take off the cord from that socket. I belong in Jesus. Well, you got to stop. I'm not going to stop. So then they leave. But I love the second part that we see here. Not only are they connected to Jesus, but church, they're connected to who? They're connected to one another. They're connected to the brotherhood. They're connected to the church. And, and I love that because in Proverbs 27, 17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I, I read that passage and, and I think about 
the four weeks that we just spent in diary, and all I could think of is this, ready? I need you, church. I need you. I need brothers and sisters by my side. I need people that are going to lift up our hands when we're weary. How many of you are weak and sometimes timid and sometimes weary? You're sinful people. Sometimes you just have this thing in you that wants to stray to darkness and you just need godly people around you. How many of you, huh? So when I look at part one, we spent four weeks of diary. Now what are you going to do? And you almost hear the voice of God saying, what do you mean what are you going to do? It's very simple. You stay connected to me and you stay connected to the body that I've given you. And then I'm like, right on. I totally get this. I can't leave now. Because let me tell you what's going to happen. I know that the moment that I get out of diary of a wimpy Christian and I start walking around, I know what's going to happen. You want to take a guess? Satan my weaknesses, darkness, this world, whatever it might be, is going to come at me full strength to see if the word was preached had any power in my life and any sort of application. Has anyone here experienced that since the last four weeks? And Christ is like, you're going to go through that. Waves and winds and demons and faults and weaknesses and the world system, things are going to come at you. But point number one, you could say it almost with me already, church. Remain in me. You stay connected to me, and you stay connected to your brother. You stay connected to your sister. And man, do we fail each other. How many of you have been failed by someone in this room? Amen. Thank you for being honest. I didn't think you guys were going to be honest when I asked that question. Thank you. But let's be very honest. How many of us have failed someone in this room as well? It's part of the brotherhood. It's part of the sisterhood. I have a sister whose blood, blood of my blood, I mean, we're blood, we're, we're family, we've been through life together, we've been through hardships together, and do I fail her? Absolutely. But when I'm deep down in the mud, and I don't have anyone to cry out to, do you want to know who's always there to pick up the phone call? It's always my big sister. Have I failed her at times? Yes. Has she failed me at times? Absolutely. But do you know what? When I need her the most, you know what? She always has the tendency of what? Always being there for me. Hey, church, I want you to know this. Iron sharpens iron. I was going to grab two swords and have two guys sword fight, but then I was like, that might not be good. <laughs> we might lose someone today. So I used wisdom real quick on that one. But iron sharpens iron. We help each other grow. We help each other stay bold. I hope you have that relationship with someone here. And if you don't, I hope you start building that. How many of you guys can say amen? amen? I need to build that with some men here. Can I share a pastor's heart with you? Be very wise. Make sure it's a godly man. Be very wise. Make sure it's a godly woman. Women, be very wise. Make sure it's not a man. Men, be very wise. Make sure it's not a woman. But at the end of the day, we need each other. But most importantly, together, we need God. Amen. So there's my first point for you. Amen? Thank you. Amen. God's good. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we talked about them. I love this. Ready? Shadrach didn't go in the fire alone. Meshach didn't go in the fire alone. Abednego did not go in the fire alone. But guess what they did? All three of them said, let's do it together. And you could almost sense that, right? Like, if I got Phil with me, me, Phil, and I don't know, I grab a Jonathan, I'll grab a Lou, I'll grab a Rudy Mike, uh, maybe we'll even grab my man over here who's letting his beard grow, and we'll grab Angel. And, and, I, and, and I'm getting persecuted, and they're like, hey, we're going to throw you in the fire because you're repping Christ. I'm going to think twice about it. I'm like, oh, oh man. But then if I see Angel, and Angel says, I'm going to do it with you, I'm like, all right. Lou jumps in, I'm going to do it, all right. Rudy jumps in, I'm going to do it. And Phil jumps I'm going to do it. I'm like, yo, we're cool then. Let's, let's just all jump in the fire together. That's pretty good. There's nothing like going into the fire together as brothers and coming out together in victory and saying, because I had certain brothers and sisters by my side and we remained in Jesus together, we didn't make each other fall, but we strengthened one another. Look who we are today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three great examples of that. Amen. You know, Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. That's I'm sorry, I'm going fast. Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, I got rebuked at my house on Monday. <laughs> Verse 9 through 12. 
We have family Bible studies at my house on Monday, and they said, you go too fast. When you say a verse, you're on the next verse, and we're still looking for that verse. And I said, forgive me. I'm going to try to practice going slow. Ready? Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. When you're there, can you say amen? amen. This is hard for me. <laughs> it's the bowl time, man. All right, here we go. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Are we there? All right, here we go. Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. For if they fail, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he fails. Sorry, sorry. Falls. Same thing, right? Falls. For he has no one to help him up. Verse 11. But again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. I love sharing this verse to marriages. But it goes for the brotherhood too. But how can one be warm alone? Verse 12. Though one may be overpowered by another. I love this. Watch this. Watch this. Two can what? Two can withstand them. But you know, Solomon in all his wisdom puts the wisest thing next. Watch what he says next. And the threefold cord and a threefold cord, that's not quickly broken. Let me tell you what, what he means here. Ready? He says this. If you go alone in this journey, man, it's going to be harder for you. Afflictions are going to come. Darkness is going to come. Things that are strong are going to come at you. And man, you might fall. And if you fall, who's going to pick you up? Who's going to get you by the hand? If you're in bed and you're all cold, let's be very careful with that verse. Very careful. But who's going to keep you warm? Who's going to keep that fire inside of you lit up? But, but, but then here's the point. He says, he says one, one of you, one of you alone could be overpowered by someone else. But two of you together, you can withstand that something. But then he doesn't end there. He says, but if you add the third source, he says, that third, you will not quickly be broken. Let me tell you what he means. He says this, hey, brothers and sisters, you need one and another. And most importantly, you need God in the center of your lives. And if you have God in the middle of your brotherhood, nothing will destroy you. I love that. I love that because I need to remain in God. And as I remain in God... I want to remain in God with you. We need to remain in God together. How many of you get bothered when you miss two weeks and we call you? We're just trying to remain with you. It's not because of anything else. We're trying to remain with you. And we want you with us to remain in Him. It's no other reason. And that's why we do what we do here. I love Helen Keller, what she said one day. Out of all people, she said this. She says, I would rather walk with a friend in the dark than alone in the light. We need each other in the dark. We need each other, and together we come and we are in Christ. So point number one, stay connected. You stay connected. You remain in Christ, and you remain together in Him. Amen. Point number two, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. I'm going to go slow for you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 39. Can we read this together as a church? Because it's a powerful verse. Ready? I'm going I'm to count to three and then we'll do it. One, two, three. Ready? He who loses his life for my sake will find it. You guys did good. He who loses his life. Jesus is speaking. He starts talking about he who gains his life and at the end he loses his soul. But the one who loses his life today at the end will gain his his own, and he begins to describe living for the world and then living for eternity while you're in the world. It's amazing. But there's a segment in chapter 10 where I wanted to grab out, and that's verse 39, the second part of that verse where he says, you need to lose your life for my sake, and then you will find it. I, I love this, because notice what he says. Every part of the Bible is so important. Watch this. If you lose your life, you will find it. No, that's reading the Bible wrong. What does the scripture say? If you lose your life for my sake, then what's the promise? Then you will find it. But it's for his sake. It's for his purposes. It's for his plan. It's for his will to be done. That we don't just let it be about, you know, we talk about this series. We don't just let it be for the series and... Oh, I just want to make sure God doesn't work with me in the next couple weeks as we're in the series. But, but that we, we look at the Word of God and we will look at God's will 
That every moment of every day we lose our lives for the sake of Christ so that we would find it. What does some of the, uh, some of the commands in Scripture say? Pick up your cross and what, church? Follow me. You must deny yourself and follow me. These commands are, are in Scripture when, when Christ mentions it. Here's point number two. Write this down. It, it's, it's this. Give yourself. Uh, we just came off a series. You want to be bold? Here it is. Ready? Stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected with one another. And point number two, now you give yourself. What do you mean you give yourself? Give yourself to what, church? You give yourself to his namesake. You give yourself to his will, to his plan, to his purpose. I love when people are like, oh, but I've been praying for this all my life. I've been, I've been wanting this all my life. And, and, and the door is opened and and wow i finally got what i what i've been wanting hey that's good i'm trying to be very polite and loving but who really cares what we want when it's more important about what god wants because we could confuse our prayers and pray to god about everything that we want and god's like no when you pray to me you pray about everything that i want in you that's how we pray to god though like, right? Lord, give me, Lord, give me this, and Lord, give me her, and Lord, give me him, and Lord, give me that, and Lord, I want this, and Lord, if you give me this, I will then. You, we give them clauses. And the Lord's like, no. You pray for me to give you what I desire, what I want, what I long for you. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to go all over the Bible today. Genesis 22. When you're there, give me an amen so I can know I can start. In Matthew 10, we just said, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. But here we are now in Genesis 22. Here's Abraham. It says, after these things, verse 1, God tested Abraham and he said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac. whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And I want you to offer him up there as a burnt offering on one of those mountains of which I shall tell you. How many of you have heard this, this story before? Okay. A lot of you. There are some of you that haven't, which is good because get ready. So Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled up his donkey. He took two of his young men with him. Uh, that would be two of his servants, two people that worked for him. And he took his son Isaac, whom he loved. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes. I love that it's the third day, but I can't even preach on that right now. I don't have time, but watch this. He lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, to his servants, the guys that worked for him, he says, stay here, stay here with the donkey. Stay here with the donkey. And watch what he says next. I think I bolded this for you guys. Oh, I underlined it. Oh, maybe not. Watch this. I bolded it in my notes. And I and the boy will go over there to the mountain, and I will worship and come again to you. I will worship and come again to you. So Abraham took the wood of burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. A scary man. He took his hand and in his hand he took the fire and he took a knife. And they both went together and Isaac said to his father, because now he's getting worried, right? Hey, we're going to a sacrifice place. We're going to go offer up an animal to God. But there's a big problem here. There's no animal. <laughs> so like a son would do, he says... My father, my father. And the father Abraham said, here I am, son. He said, okay, here it is. Here's my conclusion. Ready? There's fire and there's wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, 
Well, son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. Hey, I read this just having a son whom I love. And I say, Lord, don't you ever challenge me in this way. Ever. Thank God I'm not Abraham. Thank God Abraham is the man of faith. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know. Maybe the pastor next door. Maybe someone. I can't, Lord. I don't know how to do it. But I love what Moses does here. He grabs his son. If you study the son Isaac, you'll realize that from the son Isaac, he's the son of promise. He's the son that God told him. Out of him will come a nation. And out of him, this nation will come a savior, will come a deliverer. Out of him. And, 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 and he sees this son at his old age that he bared, well, his wife bared. And he loves him to death with all of his might. He loves him so much that he got rid of this other son that he had that he should have never had because of disobedience. And he got rid of that girl. And he says, I love this one so much and God says good I see you love him so much that this is what I want to do can you imagine that God challenges you in that way grab the thing that you love so much take it to the altar that I'm showing you take some wood take a knife put some fire get ready to put some fire in there and offer up your son as a sacrifice but he doesn't say sacrifice as an offering before me and Abraham notices it he grabs his son, grabs the two servants, and he tells them this. I and the boy will go over there, but this is the part that blows my mind. I and the boy will go over there, and I'm going to murder him. No. I and the boy will go over there, and I'm going to hope that something happens. No. I and the boy, I'm going to go over there. and we're, No. Here's what he said. I and the boy are going over there, and we will. My God. And we will worship, he says. Listen, if I'm Abraham, there's nothing about worship about me killing my son. Okay? But Abraham scrapped his son. He took him up to the place. And he said, what we're going to do is worship. It's worship. And I read this passage. And I say, Abraham, where in your mind do you see killing your son I know God told you that, but as worship before the Lord. I don't get it. Want me to tell you where it's found? Because God looked. The Bible says that man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the what? At the heart. And as God one day was meditating and checking out God's, um, Abraham's heart, he says, hmm, I realize what Abraham loves most is his son. So I'm going to challenge him. Whether the love that he has for his son is greater than the love that he has for me. What a challenge. Abraham, I saw your heart. You love your son. Bring him to the altar. Offer him up to me. You know, the truth is this. You'll only be able to do that when you love God more than the thing that you're offering. But when you love the thing that you're offering more than you love God, you'll never be able to give the thing that you're offering to God. Because the love for it is so much greater than God. And because that has become a God in your life. So Abraham grabs the thing that means the most to him, puts him on the altar. And you and I judge the Bible and say, well, who in the world does God think he is? And I say, God thinks he's God. And he says, I want all your love. So put the boy on the altar and kill him. And you killing him is actually a sign of worship unto me. Watch this. Because you giving of yourself, Abraham, is you worshiping me. Even if it's your son. Guys, I want to be very clear. That's no longer for today. You do not kill your child for God today. Amen? <laughs> Come back to the word. I'm being very serious. There's some crazy people out there. All right, let's jump back into Genesis. I had to say that. I had to say that. I saw some of you already think, this is my chance. All right. <laughs> I'm going to get him. I'm going to get her. She's driving me nuts. All right. I'm just joking. That was improper. Too early. Too soon. Just a minute ago, we gave tithe. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not, so do not raise your hand. But for some of you, it hurts to give to God, even your tithes. Come on, man. You know it does. What do you think? It didn't hurt this guy before? It hasn't hurt me before? It hurts you to give tithe. Well, I'll give 8.5%. It's close to 10, God. If you round it off, it's almost 10. You know, and, we, and that's that we go with 10. Where, let's not even get into tithes today. But 
Think about it. When we tithe, it hurts us. But yet it's still a commandment by God because that thing which we love, God says, give it to me. And as you give it to me, I love this. It's also a sign of what? Worship. Abraham, here's your son, that thing that you love, and give that thing to me because it's a sign of worship. And when you and I as a church give ourselves, it's a sacrifice to him. And as it's a sacrifice unto him, it's a worship unto him. And as Abraham was about to kill his son with a knife, and by the way, if you finish reading the story, he never did it. God provided. But when he was about to kill his son, all of it was in the name of worship. And I look at that and I say, God, what's wrong with my heart? Because I know for a fact that there are things in my life that I'm not willing to put on his altar as a sign of worship because I know it's going to take too much. I know that it's going to mean so much. And I know that it's going to hurt this much. And because of that, God, I'll still worship you loudly and I'll still beg of you loudly, but don't ask me to give of myself in places where it's going to take all of me and hurt all of that's within me and God says yes that's exactly where I want you I want you to take what's the most precious what's the most significant what means the most because when I am worshipped I don't want this crumbs of worship I want the meal I don't want the, the leftovers I want the whole thing finely cooked offered before God that when you worship me it's not a poor worship or it's not hey I cut off my son's finger can you at least have this part of him I could do with a son with four fingers no God said put your whole in entire son and when you and I worship God he doesn't ask just for the crumbs or just for the little but God says I want all of you and even what's dearest to you and then my second point is this he says give yourself church a diary of your wimpy Christian I want to be bold God says the only way to boldness number one remain in me remain together in me point number two daily you give yourself and, and we see that in Romans I in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we, we've gone over the scripture so many times. And he says, I appeal to you, brethren. I encourage you, brethren. Therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? See, I'm not lying. I was not lying about Abraham and Isaac. I was not lying when I said point number two is give yourself. Because he just told you in scripture, give yourself as a living sacrifice. But watch what he says next. Ready? Holy and acceptable. And watch what he says. Which is your what? Which is your spiritual worship. My Lord. My Lord. And then he goes on. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. But notice what he says. It's your spiritual worship. What is your spiritual worship, church? To present your bodies as a sacrifice. Love that. Oswald Sanders, um, Chambers said this. No enthusiasm will ever stand the strain that Jesus Christ will put upon his worker. Only one thing will, and that is a personal relationship to himself, which has gone through the mill of his spring, cleaning until there is only one purpose left. Look what he says here. That I am here for God to send me where he will. And I say, Lord, that's what I want to be. I want to give myself, because watch this. You can write this in your notes. And giving myself is the only place where I feel alive. How about you? How about you? Giving yourself is where you feel alive. Holding things in and not sharing what God is doing and not giving to others and giving to God, you're going to feel dead. But when you begin to give yourself, you feel alive. Christ gave himself and says there's no greater love than this than to lay down his life for another. Giving yourself, you feel alive. William Booth said this, the greatness of man's power is the measure of his surrender. Man. Awesome William Booth. I want to be filled with power and God's like, good. It all is measured with your surrender. Philippians 1. What does Paul say? For I fully expect and hope. Verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past, and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. And then he says something in verse 21 that, man, just check this out. For to me... Living means living for Christ and dying 
is even better. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know what, you know what Paul was saying? He said this, ready? I give myself daily. A.W. Tozer said this, the reason why many are still troubled, the reason why many are still seeking, are still making little forward progress, anyone here? Is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work within us. And what are we saying here? God's like, you want to be this person that you've talked about for the last few weeks. Point number two is give yourself to my call. Give yourself to my will. So point number one, remain in me and together remain in me. Point number two, give what? Give yourself. And here it is. Write this down. Point number three. I'm going to share a quote. I'm going to give you the point. Here it is. I'm going to stay on A.W. Tozer. He said, holiness. Holiness as taught in the scriptures is not based upon knowledge on our part, but rather it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. So write this down. Point number three is remain holy. And I'm going to close off in a few minutes. Remain holy. Remain holy. Remain holy. I want you all, as we get ready to close, turn to 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2 with me. Once you're there, say amen, because I want to make some points on 1 Samuel chapter 2. And then we'll wrap it up. Amen, amen. As we look at point number three, to remain holy... It's such an important part, and I'm going to ask a question to the church today. What does remain holy mean? This is for you guys, by the way. Be obedient. God's... God set apart. God's... Oh! <laughs> Consecrated and set apart. Amen. Anyone else have anything else on holy? Huh? Be like Jesus. Many of us think that holiness means perfection. Many of us think that holiness is only attained when we get to eternity. No, perfection is gained in eternity. But holiness is a call for right now, in this day, in this hour. Point number three is remain holy. I shared you a quote with A.W. Tozer, the point where Christ dwells in you. He is changing us into his likeness, meaning he is making us holy. And when Christ calls us to remain holy, I'm going to be very honest with the church. It is so easy to let impurity sneak in and steal what the Lord is doing or has done in our lives. So easy to do that. I'm, I'm going to give you a perfect example. example. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli is the priest of the house of God. He is in charge of the house of God. And God, in the process of the priesthood, the priesthood had a duty, and that was what? To keep my house, want to take a guess? Holy. I want nothing impure in my house. Nothing shameful in my house. If you're going to take care of my house as a priest, you make sure that you consecrate it, that you set it apart, and you keep it holy. That's what holy means set apart because my house should not be like the other houses in the block my houses shall not be like the one across the street my houses shall not be planned out and written out the way man thinks my house should be my house is in this order and in this likeness and in this way and you make sure that you keep these structures and you make it and you remain it you keep it holy eli do you get it and eli's like what i get it so eli does a very good job in his life but then he gets very old you know what happens with people sometimes when they serve god for a while they get old you know what i'm talking about they let dust fall on their heart they let hurt have power over them I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe the church actually did that. They grow old. And Eli grew old. 
And because he grew old, someone else needed to start taking care of the house. It was his sons. Eli, you're getting old, man. So Eli's sons are the priests that take care of the house. And in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, The sons of Eli, though, they became corrupt. Because they did not truly know the Lord, but they were priests. They are what you would call, what we called weeks ago, wolves in sheep's clothing. They said they knew God. They dressed in priestly garments. They smelled like the priest. But inside they were corrupt. Know any Christians like, okay. But they were corrupt. And the priest custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Look at verse 14. And he would thrust it into the pan and kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all the flesh hook brought up. And they did this in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. It says, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and they would say to the man, give meat of roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you. And you could almost see the people that were giving sacrifices, but that's not the way we do things here. And the men were like, who cares? Shut up. This is how we're doing it now. Eli's sons, the priest, wanted this way against what God asked. You're just like, it's meat. Who cares? Eat it raw. Don't you eat sushi? Or eat it cooked? It's against God's word. Then look what they began to do. And if the man said to him, they will really burn the fat first and take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. The house of God became evil. Verse 17 says, so therefore the sin of the young men of Eli, it was very great before the Lord. These men aboard or Another word is they blasphemed the offering of the Lord. They did not keep it holy. Can we keep reading? We're going to skip, skip, skip. Look at verse 22. Now Eli was what? Very, very old. You know what I mean by old? This is what I mean by old. Ready? I don't feel like dealing with that. I'm tired. I'm weary. I've been serving God for so long. Come on. I know there's people sitting here that have said that. Maybe you're saying that. I'm coming here, but don't ask me to get involved. I'm old. I've been hurt by too many churches. Pastor, you're just like the rest of them. Oh, I'm getting old. I just want to come, receive, and leave. Don't ask anything of me. I'm just very old. Then he says... He heard everything that his sons were doing. And watch what us they were doing. They were laying with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Let me tell you what they were doing. They were coming to the house of God. And they were grabbing the women from the house of God. Defiling them. And having sexual intercourse in the house of God. And God's like, no. That's not what you do. That's not what you do. You don't come to church to see which girl and which guy and which how many you could see. No, 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 no. You don't do that. And he said to him, why do you do such things? I hear about your evil doings from all the people of Israel. And look what he says next. No, my sons. It is not a good report what I hear. Why are you doing this? You make the Lord's people sin. He's come. Like, Eli, wake up, man. Grab them by the ear. Pull their ear off. Grab them by the hair and get them out of the temple and say, you will never walk into the house of God again. But instead, oh, my sons, what are you doing? Watch what happens. For if one man sins against another, God is going to judge him. And he tells them, but if a man sins against the Lord... Who's going to intercede for you, sons? And the sons of Eli, it says in verse 25, Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father. They did not heed the voice of their father. We read this and we say this. 
How can these sons of Eli do this? How could they? You can write that in your notes. How could they? How can they defy the house of God? How can they make impure that which is called to be pure? How can they make that unholy which is called to be holy? How many of you agree with me? How could they do that? How many of you agree with me? But then we read 1 Corinthians 6. And 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and He lives in you and He was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Verse 20, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with all of your body, church. We read Genesis or we read 1 Samuel chapter 2 and we say, how could they? But then when we read 1 Corinthians, the question is what? How could we? Because God told the priest, you keep the temple holy. And God tells today's priest, you. You keep your temple holy. And we look at this and we say, well, no, no, no. That's not exactly what God means. You want to know a secret? That's exactly what God means. You keep it holy. Oh, but, but you know, you got, Pastor you got to know the times. Listen, I could care less about the times. You got to know the word. The times could be doing that, but you don't do it because you're not living according to the times. You're living according to the word in the times that you live in. Because the Bible says that you don't belong in this world. You belong to another world. There is an inheritance that awaits you. So you are here for a point, for a moment, for a time, awaiting for the future glory that awaits the saints. So though you're here for a time, this is not the time that you adjust to. You adjust to eternity within the time that God has given you. And Paul tells the church of Corinth, because if you knew Corinth, they were sinful, dirty, nasty people. They were sick at their heart, but yet they said they love God. And Paul tells Corinth, your body is the temple of God. Keep it holy. You question the priest of Samuel, but man, I question the priest of today. Why has your body become impure? You need to remain. You need to keep it holy. You need to. How could we? Distractions come, church. Hey, boyfriend looking for a girlfriend. Right when you're on fire, she's coming. Vice versa. And I could go down the spectrum. Oh, I need a job. Right when you're on fire for God, it's the job that takes you away from church. I could go down the spectrum. Oh, I want a child. You God gives you a child, and it's a child that separates you from the things of God. I could go down. I could keep going down the list. And God says, I don't care if I give you a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a church or a child or a job or some money in this. He says, whatever it is, you continue to keep yourself holy. You know your God, church. There's no excuse. There's no and for buts. There's no plan D. It's A. A is the only option. And distractions will come in a hurry to steal what God is doing in your life. Business will come. Things will come. But you never stop being holy. And if things are separating you from the holiness of God, you separate those things from your life. Separate them. Come on, I have to repeat myself almost every week. What good is it to gain the whole world, but at the end you lose your soul? One pastor said this. Why would we want fame when God promises us glory? Why would we be seeking the wealth of the world when the wealth of heaven is ours? Why would we run for a crown that will perish with time when we're called to win a crown that is imperishable? Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, repentance must dig the foundations, but holiness shall erect the structure and bring forth the top stone. Repentance is the clearing away of the rubbish of the past temple of sin. But holiness, it builds the new temple which the Lord our God shall inherit. Repentance and desires after holiness never can be separated. So this walk... And you might say, well, can I do this? 
Will I last? I'm scared to commit to this. I'm scared to commit new life. I'm scared to commit regal. God, I'm scared to commit. I'm going to ask you a question then. Do you really know God? Because I can't do nothing but put on the ring if I know God. I'm ready to commit, man. You might feel like it's like, I can't. And I'm going to tell you this. You can because God can in you. And watch what he says. Matthew 11. Jesus says this. I'm going to ask you to stand as you open up to Matthew 11. And in Matthew 11, what Jesus says, he says this. He says, come to me. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. And 29 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me For I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And then in verse 30 he says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you're sitting here, now you're standing, you're like, well, I don't think I could do this. And I say, then what are you trying to say that what Jesus is saying is a lie? Because Jesus is not a liar. He actually says, come to me. Come. Find out for yourself. Come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There's a grace that will keep you remaining in me. Remaining together. That will keep you from giving, that will continue to give yourself. And to remain holy there's a grace in me come my yoke is easy my burden is light I don't know if you caught what we were talking about the last four weeks but as I end we started week number one with this verse which is the reason why we went into that series and it was 2 Timothy 1 7 and it was for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and sound mind so church I'm going to tell you today don't fear why would you ever enter into something like this thinking that you're alone you're not alone you really think you're alone you're not alone when you fear God alone your fear for all other things will be no more so what does he say? God says, as, I, as you come to me, this is what I give you. The Spirit of God gives you power. Remember Javi's message yesterday? Last Sunday? Gives you power. The Spirit of God gives you love. That's our statement here at church. Love. Love God. Love people. Love. And the Spirit of God gives you a sound mind. You're concrete. You're firm. Your thoughts are in Christ. You're serious, man. You're not wacky. You're not a weirdo. You're living in Miami, living in Florida in this age. You're not this freaky person. You have a sound mind. Sound mind. Filled with love. Filled with power. Lord, I want to remain holy. Lord, I want to give myself. I want to remain in you because there's a promise that you will remain in me. And I need to remain together with my brothers and sisters in you. So here it is, Lord, that the Spirit of the Lord would give me power, would fill me with love, and would give me a sound mind. I long to accomplish these things. Keep me holy today. Keep me holy. Can you just meditate on the holiness of God? Can you cry out holy to your Lord? I'm going to give you a minute or so. I want you to open up the altar of your heart. Open up the altar. Open up the altar. But don't hold back today. 
Say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Let me remain in you. Let me give myself. Let me stay holy. Worship him for a minute or so. And we'll close off. But just worship him for. Open up. If you want to come up, come up. But just open up to the Lord. Do not hold back today. Hallelujah. where you're at just open up your hearts before him say holy are you O king transform my life help me to live these things out if you need to surrender today surrender give yourself if you need to say lord make me holy forgive me of my sins cry that out to god if you got to say lord forgive me for walking away Today I'm glued. Today I remain in you, in the brotherhood. Cry that out to your God. But don't leave here the same. Let the Spirit of God fill you today. Let the power of Christ fill you. If you need to pray today, Lord, give me, give me power, give me love, give me a sound mind. Pray that today. Cry out to your God. Yes, Lord. Sing it one more time before the Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Can you hold the hand of the person next to you as we get ready to close? And Lord, we come to today, Lord God, we come together. And Lord, I take that person to my right, I take that person to my left. And Lord, I proclaim this word over their lives. Lord, I thank you for them, Lord. I thank you for allowing them to be here this morning. Lord, I pray that they heard the word and that they would Rejoice in this word, a word that was called to them to edify them, to lift them up, a call to holiness, a call to remain in you, a call to remain in the, in the church, in the brotherhood, a call to offer up our lives as worship unto you. Strengthen them from their weaknesses that they go through, just strengthen, become their power. From whatever is attacking them, let it fall short. Begin to intercede. Begin to pray for them. Whatever it is that brings them down, Lord, I pray that you would overcome those things and lift them up. If it's my spouse, pray for that spouse next to you. If it's your child, if it's your friend, if it's someone you don't even know well, just pray for them and say, Lord, you know their need. You know what's bothering them. You know what's aching them. You know the sin. You know the darkness. You know the fall. Lord, pick it up. Let them find it in you. Let them find life in you. Let them remain in you today. Strengthen my brother. Consume him. Let them live out this word filled with power, love, sound mind. Cover him. Anoint him. Deal with sin. 
deal with darkness deal with temptations deal with the struggles deal with the weaknesses Lord fill with power Holy Spirit fill fill with your spirit thank you thank you for you are good Lord we thank you we worship you thank you for this time together thank you for speaking this word to my heart and speaking it to us let us ponder let us live on it and let our lives never be the same Lord we love you and we exalt your name only Jesus for you are worthy it's in your powerful and your holy name Jesus Christ and together as a body we say amen can you give God some praise where you're at <laughs>